Chapter One, The Veteran Advocate. The history and concept of veteran community-based care and advocacy. Why learning about veteran community-based care and advocacy will help you. Veteran healthcare and benefits have always been fought for. Knowing about veteran advocacy and how it has shaped the veteran system of care will provide context for the services and support you provide. A culturally informed approach will benefit veterans and significantly improve the quality of services you provide. The veteran identity. The military is a culture and society of its own. Serving in the military shapes every aspect of life. It is a separation from family, relinquishing the freedom to choose how to live. Serving in the military impacts every aspect of the self. They become part of a branch, a division, a unit, one part of a whole. Serving means relinquishing liberty, being subject to a different and more rigid legal system than civilians. One telling point regarding transition from military to veteran life is the use of the term separation. In the civilian world, we leave a job or profession. We retire, quit, get laid off, or are fired. Active duty personnel separate from the military. It's a strong word, meaning to break, detach, sever, divorce. The terminology is apt, though, as separation represents a much larger transition than moving from one profession to another. Though separation indicates a parting from the military identity, the experience shapes and stays with veterans their entire lives. Veterans are both everywhere and nowhere. They are a minority population with a distinct common culture. They are subject to distinct federal bureaucracies. They face unique physical and mental health issues. At times, they speak a different language, both in terms of military lingo and through a host of acronyms regarding issues and services. But they cross all demographic and geographic lines and intersect with other distinct cultural groups as well. We will go more into veteran culture and identity in chapter two. Coming home. Veterans come home to communities, cities, and towns throughout the United States. Perhaps they return to a hometown, but often they transition to a new location close to their most recent stateside post or close to a job, school, friends, or loved ones. They do not come home to the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. As such, it is incumbent on communities to provide resources in conjunction with federal, state, or veteran-specific entities. Too often, veterans and their families are referred to veteran-specific care that remains siloed from mainstream services. Veteran-specific resources are extremely valuable, providing culturally informed care and expertise. They are not, nor should they be, the sole or separate community for veterans. After all, a veteran living in San Francisco is a San Franciscan and deserves a fair share of resources and recognition as both a resident and as a former service member. Therefore, civilian society must familiarize with the veteran experience and respond to their needs. How does the VA play into this? The VA is an indispensable provider of medical care and can deliver resources that no community-based provider alone can achieve. The Veterans Health Administration, or VHA, provides world-class medical care and partners with communities for housing, behavioral health, and social service supports. 
the Veterans Benefits Administration, or VBA, provides pension and disability compensation, GI Bill benefits, and other resources. That said, and contrary to popular belief, VA services are not automatic or universally accessible. There are thresholds of eligibility for all benefits, from GI Bill to medical care and disability compensation. In more recent years, increase of bad paper discharges, especially discharges resulting from behavioral infractions that are related to military trauma and their impact on eligibility, bring to light the major issues of VA eligibility and access. Further, only half of the nation's veterans receive care from the VA. That means that while most of the public assumes veterans are taken care of by the VA, the truth is veterans are in our communities and often receiving care from non-veteran specific providers. Much of the care and research that the VA provides is the result of decades of veteran advocacy. Recent public attention to wait times for appointments and care at certain VA medical centers has shifted the narrative from increasing needed care at the VA to stripping care by moving much of the VA's resources to the community. Veteran advocacy groups have taken up the charge to protect VA care, but as history proves, this is yet another example of veterans having to fight for their fair share. How do community organizations play into this? The myth of comprehensive care has unintended consequences. Community services may refer veterans out of local resources in a mistaken belief that the individual is eligible for VA care. In many cases, the veteran is eligible but may need assistance establishing that eligibility. In others, the care is rationed due to eligibility constraints or the veteran is ineligible altogether. And in all cases, veteran status should not preclude community entities from serving veterans. In the best case, Community-based organizations, veterans organizations, and the VA work in tandem to provide veterans and their families with the full spectrum of care, support, services, and opportunities. Lessons fought for and sometimes forgotten, a history of veteran advocacy. It has always been up to veterans and their allies to champion and demand post-service supports. The nation's investment in veterans has been anything but consistent. Promises made to generations of service members have consistently been broken or underdelivered. It is incumbent on the broader population to dig deeper than flags and platitudes and ensure that real support is delivered. The following brief examples demonstrate some lessons fought for and sometimes forgotten over recent generations. World War I and the VA. Long before a federally sponsored healthcare system provided medical care to veterans, the US government provided veterans with pensions, land grants, and after the Civil War, state and federally funded soldiers' homes offered medical care, housing, and food. But it was World War I veteran advocacy that shaped the medical response that we see today. After germ theory of disease was discovered and the X-ray machine invented, World War I veterans began to see the benefits of hospital care rather than the outdated medical practices in soldiers' homes. By 1924, the idea of a veteran health care system began to take root, with veteran service organizations, such as Disabled American Veterans, DAV, and the American Legion advocating to Congress 
that all veterans of the Great War, regardless of service-connected disability, deserved publicly funded health care. Some saw the benefit of a unique healthcare system as providing both a dependable medical response and economic self-sufficiency to veterans, while others saw a healthcare system as a way to keep at bay the growing veteran advocacy movement. By 1932, the Veterans Administration, now called the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, was created with 70 hospitals throughout the country serving more than 44,000 veterans. The Bonus Army Through World War II. In 1924, Congress passed the World War I Adjusted Compensation Act, providing veterans with redeemable certificates to assist in their transition. A fine idea, but fatally flawed, in that the certificates could not be redeemed for actual money until 1945. Veterans who fought in a brutal war were told to wait for 21 years for assistance. Eight years after the act was passed, the Depression era veterans could wait no longer. The bonus army of 40,000 veterans and their families marched on Washington, camping on the National Mall to demand immediate payment. Their efforts were met with violence. Under orders from Herbert Hoover, then Army Chief of Staff Douglas MacArthur led Army infantry troops to clear the camps. They marched on the World War I veterans killing two, and the camp was cleared and burned. It took another four years for the bonuses to be paid out. After World War II, World War I and World War II veterans advocated to dramatically improve benefits. They established the most comprehensive GI Bill in history, providing for education and home ownership and decades of economic security for the entire nation. But those benefits and programs were not permanent, and a new era of veterans felt long forgotten by their elder peers in services and supports. The Vietnam Era. Vietnam veterans, many draftees, and most from lower middle and working class backgrounds returned to a country disinclined to provide support. Post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, the psychological fallout of war and military service was not recognized until 1980, and even then was often categorized as post-Vietnam syndrome, a term that loosely captured a host of conditions related to service. VA hospitals had been neglected for decades and were deemed medical slums. The availability of healthcare and benefits was woefully inadequate, and public sentiment was not on the side of Vietnam veterans. What followed was decades of societal neglect. Throughout the late 70s and 80s, leaders in the Vietnam generation demanded care. Advocates fought to expose the grossly disproportionate numbers of veterans experiencing homelessness, substance use addiction, unemployment, poverty, and family dissolution. They fought to establish PTSD as a recognized condition listed in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders and opened the door to establish service connection for invisible wounds of war. Thus began a national discourse about the mental trauma of war and its lasting impact, a discussion that initiated research on chronic long-term PTSD. The physical health consequences of Agent Orange exposure were denied and dismissed. 
Agent Orange litigation led to criteria for compensation and medical care for a host of long and short-term physical ailments. Michael Blecker, Swords to Plowshares Executive Director, along with other Swords to Plowshares staff attorneys and fellow advocates, helped develop the Agent Orange Self-Help Guide and served on the National Agent Orange Settlement Advisory Board. To this day, emerging health issues are being tied to Agent Orange, and advocates are on the front lines demanding care and recognition. Post-Vietnam Community Care. Following Vietnam, veterans returned to a system that largely rejected them and was designed to address the needs of their fathers and grandfathers. These veterans also championed community and peer-based care. That is the theme of this toolbox.vet guide, much of which discusses lessons learned responding to decades of neglect, extraordinary rates of unemployment, homelessness, drug addiction, family dissolution, and suicide. In communities, small local groups like Swords to Plowshares were formed and began as a peer-to-peer model of vets helping vets as places where veterans could speak freely with one another. Veterans began to see the benefits of talking to someone who was culturally informed and understood their unique experiences. These models were recognized as effective and then adopted by the VA in the form of vet centers, community-based readjustment counseling services. Located in storefronts, these centers did not reflect the towering gray bureaucracy of the VA and the Department of Defense and are, to this day, separate from the Veterans Health Administration in terms of patient confidentiality and eligibility for services. Community-based groups also grew, securing government contracts to deliver employment services. By the 1980s, these groups recognized that veterans were grossly overrepresented among the nation's homeless population. Something was seriously wrong, and veteran providers went to work to respond. In 1986, the VA began contracting with community-based organizations to provide transitional supportive housing and accompanying social work resources. And in 1990, a group of community-based organizations joined together to create the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans, NCHV, which continues to work on behalf of their members and veterans experiencing homelessness throughout the country. Post-Vietnam Generations. Having observed the dichotomy between World War II and Vietnam veteran treatment, we should have learned our lesson, only we did not. Gulf War veterans suffering from toxic exposures were deemed malingerers and had to fight once more to gain recognition for service-connected illnesses. Gulf War syndrome is another umbrella term similar to post-Vietnam syndrome for conditions tied to their combat and wartime experience, but also suggesting malingering. It disfavors a population seeking specific care, support, and research for their health needs. Most recently, post-9-11 veterans, with the help of previous generations, fought to reestablish meaningful education benefits, advocated for traumatic brain injury research, and helped reduce bureaucratic obstacles for disability benefits. They fought to redress institutional harm, including overuse of administrative discharges to call injured troops from the ranks, the military's don't ask, don't tell policy to discharge LGBTQ plus veterans, 
and the scourge of military sexual trauma. The more recent past. While Swords to Plowshares has a 40 plus year history of delivering community-based care, we were careful not to rely on assumptions when serving post 9-11 veterans. We looked to veterans themselves, conducted focus groups with veterans and their families, and reached out to local VA, military, guard and reserve installations, and other partners to explore the emerging needs on the ground. We learned that despite commonalities, this generation's experience differed from previous war generations in significant ways. A very small group of Americans in our all-volunteer force was called upon to shoulder the wars, resulting in multiple fast-paced deployments. Stop-loss measures were being used to extend deployments and maintain reliance on a small population to deploy and serve. Guard and reserve troops were deployed at unprecedented rates and, in the early years, had insufficient training and equipment for combat. Front lines were blurred to a 24-7, 360-degree theater of war. Urban close-contact warfare exposed troops to soul-shaking sights improvised explosive devices, and a lack of adequate armor prefaced the high incidence of traumatic brain injuries, now a recognized signature injury of the war. Troops were given post-deployment health surveys in group settings. These surveys asked if individuals had experienced trauma and symptoms of PTSD, but there were serious disincentives to answering honestly. Beyond the stigma of mental health issues, there was the real and perceived threat that if one answered in the affirmative, they would not be released on leave or separation, but instead held for care. Veterans feared that admitting PTSD, depression, or nightmares would brand them as malingerers or mark them as forever damaged and forestall post-service careers. Worse still, administrative discharges for adjustment disorder and mental health conditions they deemed pre-existing were abused in place of legitimate service-related diagnoses. At home, a lack of preparation left the first waves of veterans without adequate care. At the outset, the wars were expected to be brief. Guard and reservists had limited knowledge or interaction with the VA. Few plans were made and fewer dollars were spent preparing for Iraq and Afghanistan veterans. All concerned were struggling to catch up and understand the landscape, the struggles, resources available, and gaps in services so that we could prevent or at least mitigate the negative outcomes visited on our Vietnam and Gulf War era clients. The response of community to the needs of veterans. The military-civilian divide is a chasm. The clear majority of civilians have little knowledge of military culture and resources. From the outset of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, the public overwhelmingly wanted to honor veterans. This crossed political and ideological lines. The war could be debated, but the warriors were honored. But for many, wars and consequences were an abstraction. For the small percentage of the population who serve, their families and their advocates, the fallout was swift and shocking. No one was ready for the impact. The numbers deployed, the horrific injuries, the multiple tours, and the shocking lack of forethought, yellow ribbons or no. 
Iraq and Afghanistan veterans may have been in the news, but community-based agencies and the VA were struggling to maintain services for all veterans while developing programs for new veterans. Just as a new generation of veterans were flooding back home, previous era veterans, especially those over 55, began manifesting increased need associated with age and exacerbated by military service-related conditions. The insular nature of veteran organizations. Just as there is a military-civilian divide, there is a lack of trust between veteran-specific organizations and non-veteran-specific organizations. While administering regrants to agencies in Texas and California, we found that non-veteran-specific agencies had trouble reaching out to veteran organizations. This occurred even when they were offering needed services and were rebuffed by what can be described as the insular nature of veteran organizations. This may stem from the lack of trust that an outside provider knows how to serve veterans, understands the needs and resources, and can provide culturally informed care. It is incumbent on non-veteran providers to seek out such expertise, but it is incumbent on veteran providers to increase the safety net as not all veterans seek veteran-specific care. On the other side of that coin, we found that non-veteran-specific organizations while eager to assist veterans, did not understand the investment of time and commitment required to gain some degree of cultural knowledge and to develop effective client outreach. The fight for veterans' fair share. We applaud volunteerism, but assisting veterans and their families costs cold, hard cash. This should be addressed at the outset. Just as we fund bullets and boots, so should we fund the enduring costs of war and military service. In fact, the budgets for the DOD and VA are separate. Further, the VA, despite being the second largest federal agency and the largest healthcare system, must have its budget reauthorized yearly. This is woefully inefficient, but it is a system we find ourselves negotiating. And because most care is delivered in communities and only half of all veterans access the VA, much of the cost of war is externalized to localities and to individuals. Private and corporate philanthropy dedicated to veteran care is minuscule. The harsh truth is that two-tenths of 1% of all charitable giving is directed to military and veteran agencies. Just as veterans have fought for care and benefits, they have to fight to sustain such services through funding. While veteran issues do not exist in a vacuum and their identities intersect with other distinct groups, some funders will only keep veterans in a smaller funding portfolio rather than reflect their needs across all of their areas of giving. Over the past 15 or so years, community collaboratives have popped up throughout the nation. While Vietnam-era veterans had established their own systems of care, a more widespread segment of the community wanted to respond to post-9-11 veteran needs. Veteran and military organizations, such as the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, IAVA, Given Hour, Semper Fi Fund, Operation Homefront, and others began organically, providing everything from transportation, supports for military children, financial assistance, housing assistance and homeless prevention, case management, mental health services, and advocacy. 
Organizations and institutions that had been around for years also took up the charge and dedicated new programs to veterans. And dedicated new programs for new veterans, such as the National Veteran Legal Services Program, DAV, US Vets, Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, or TAPS, and others. While different in operation, structure, and history, a shared dedication to veterans and their families brought different organizations and individuals together who might have never spoken, much less collaborated. The walls between local VAs, community members, military bases, guard and reserve began to crumble through the relentless work of community advocates. The VA established post 9-11 outreach workers and expanded vet center staffing. All of this created a patchwork of care dubbed the Sea of Goodwill, comprehensive for some, confusing and difficult to access for most. The broader community still struggles to make sense of these resources, and many have long proposed a directory with few attempts and little progress. Centralized directories have proven a near impossible task as resources change rapidly and the quality of services varies significantly. How does one sift through and make sense of so much information, especially veterans and their families who have needs to be met? The Bush Institute and the Institute for Veterans and Military Families developed a series of reports to assist in evaluating the efficacy of military and veteran charities. Comparing organizations was too akin to comparing apples and oranges. So instead, they focus on connection to community, sustainability, cultural awareness, and other factors that transcend specific service categories. Whatever an agency or advocate focus is, the simple fact is you must do the work every day engage with your community and the broader community of care, and forge relationships to feel confident in referrals. Transcending geography and eligibility barriers through subject-based collective impact. Veteran population density varies regionally and subject matter expertise and or veteran specific resources can be scarce. As such, local providers must rely on the national web of veteran-specific advocates and experts and join with non-veteran-specific community partners to address local need. Communities from the ground up need to develop and maintain multiple tracks of outreach, programming, and care for these vastly different client generations. In the case of new veterans, in order to prevent and mitigate bad outcomes, with the goal of stability to provide housing, employment and financial supports, legal services, counseling and peer support. For older veterans to treat old wounds, provide housing, in-home health services, disability income, and geriatric psychological services. Where do we go from here? Veterans are everywhere. No one entity can be all things to all veterans. Instead, local service providers and community-based professionals should be armed with skills to meet veterans where they are, assisting directly or through warm referrals. In the coming chapters, Swords to Plowshares will be gathering lessons learned from our over 40 years of community-based direct services, local and national coalition building, and technical assistance programs given to veteran organizations throughout the U.S. The material we have gathered points to lessons learned and a roadmap for future care. 
Veteran services cannot be viewed as a given, but require ongoing advocacy and care based on the real-world experience of community-based supporters. Veteran advocates should work to protect and expand the work of the VA, increase access to services, collaborate in providing housing and community-based care, and ensure that the VA is not privatized and remains a strong, holistic source of veteran benefits, research, and care. Adequate community support requires an understanding of military and veteran culture. Communities need collaborative action to meet the needs of veterans, their families, and populations within the veteran community. Women, veterans experiencing homelessness, aging veterans, students, LGBTQ+, veterans with disabilities, and more. Veteran services include the full array of community support and engagement, housing, education, mental and physical health, legal services, and more. Funding must be supported and leveraged through federal, state, local, foundation, philanthropic, and individual support. Providing community-based veteran services and support is doable. We hope the tools we present will offer a framework to adopt culturally informed practices in your work.